0: Hi there, I'm Mark Isero, and this is The Highlighter Podcast. Happy New Year, everyone, and I hope you're having a great start to your 2019. Thank you so much for listening to The Highlighter Podcast. As many of you know, this podcast is devoted to great conversations on race, education, and culture. If you happen to be a new listener, welcome, and I'm happy that you're here. Today's episode has two parts. First, there's going to be an interview, and then after that, I do want to share with you some of my plans for this podcast this year. I'm really excited about today's interview. The interview is with author Brian Broom, who wrote 79, one of my favorite top three articles of all of last year. In case you missed it and want to read it first, please do so. It's over at the highlighter issue number 173. In this interview, Brian talked about how he became a writer, how he approached the piece, and how he organized 79, and what he hopes for the reader, what sort of feelings he wants to draw out of the reader as a result of his writing. Let's get right to it. Hey, Brian, thanks so much for being on the podcast.
1: Thank you very much for having me, Mark. I appreciate your asking me to be on.
0: Yeah, I think it's really great. 79, as a lot of listeners and readers of The Highlighter know, was one of my top three articles of the year. So it's great to be able to talk to you. So thank you. I I wanted to ask you first, just backing up even before 79, how did you become a writer in the first place? Um,
1: well, I'm still sort of becoming a writer. I, I didn't start writing until um, about six years ago, and I know how long that was because that's how long I've been sober. Um, I uh, had to, some substance abuse issues uh, for most of my life. Um, and I went to rehab and there, well, I didn't go voluntarily. <laughs> my, my you know friends and family, Pretty much for like you, you you really have to go get yourself uh, get yourself together. So I went to rehab and I was in rehab um, a little over a month. And when you're in rehab, there's not a whole lot to do. Uh, So I started writing. Uh, They would they gave you like a a little journal to sort of chart your daily thoughts. And uh, my roommate snored uh, horribly, and so I was just up. Uh, up nights writing, um, and I hadn't really considered writing before. Um, and when I got out of rehab, uh, I was afraid to go anywhere um, because my entire life had been about drinking and doing drugs, and uh, I didn't I didn't want to run into those friends anymore. Um, so I was at home a lot, just writing, and I was writing a lot on social media. Um, and a friend of mine who is a professor, Mike, uh, said, "You know, you should try submitting." um, some of this writing. And I was like, what does that mean? And he showed me how to submit a piece of writing. And, uh, the first thing I ever wrote and submitted got published. Wow. Um, and, uh, the, I can't remember the ocean state review. Uh, there's a story of mine in there from six years ago. And I was like, wow, that's pretty cool. And so I just kept doing it and kept submitting. And, uh, I kept sort of getting things, uh, published and I thought, well, why not try this? So that's how I got started.
0: That's great. And from the beginning, did you sort of have a sense about a what you wanted to write about, and then also b that there was something behind it that that it was actually pretty good, or did you doubt yourself at the beginning?
1: I still doubt myself. <laughs> um, I um, I don't. I wrote. I write about a lot of things, but um, what ends up happening uh, is that it always ends up being about race or, uh, sexuality or class or, uh, things in that, uh, um, you know, in that circle. Like, um, you know, if I try to write a story about, you know, what I ate for dinner, it always ends up somehow, <laughs> you know, being about one of those three issues. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, and I, I still have doubts. I have uh, tremendous doubts. I don't you know when you're sitting alone in a room and you're writing, you never know if it's, you know, any good, or um, if anybody's going to want to read it, or if it's going to have an impact on anybody's life. So there are times when I feel like that's really awesome. And then uh, there are times when I feel like what I wrote just really sucks. So it's just, it's always rewriting for me. It's never just about writing.
0: Yeah. And I'm sure that if at, at the beginning you didn't want to get out of your house, that did give you some time to, to write, because I know a lot of people who say that they want to write and then they don't actually write. Um, so did you just get a sense of like, oh, I have a lot of time so I can actually produce some good stuff and some not so good stuff?
1: Well, no, I mean, I don't like writing. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I um, you know, it's torturous. Um you know, just the the, the fact of the matter is that you have to be still. Um, you have to sit in silence. Um those things are really hard for me to do. Um, when I was afraid to leave the house, you know, after rehab, um, it literally was a thing well, it's it's like I, you know I can't watch any more television you know, I, I need to do something, and I'm afraid to go out, so I may as well just write something. Now I'm in a position where, You know, writing is pretty much required of me, um, and I'm learning to enjoy it more. I'm learning to put less pressure on myself and just know that nothing is going to fall out of my head onto the page perfectly, Um, and that it's actual work. You know, Um, it's not as it's not as easy as I thought. I think I thought it was going to be back in the beginning. Um, You know, I'm just going to write things, and and people are going to like it. No, 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 no. It doesn't work like that at all. (laughs)
0: Yeah, it's funny because I know it's a myth that the best writers most often don't like writing; that it's so painful. And it's not oh. just people. It's not just people like me. Whenever I try to write something, it's very, very painful. And I have this idea: oh, the really good writers, you know, it's easy, it's fun. But I've actually never heard that. So I'm sort of happy yeah. to hear that you you think similarly. Um, oh, um, it's.
1: it's- oh it's torture it's absolute torture but i mean i feel like i mean at the same time i feel like i'm good at it um and so why not pursue what you're good at you know even if it uh even if it hurts
0: yeah yeah that that sounds great um (laughs) is it is it okay if we talk a little bit about 79 absolutely i just again it's outstanding piece thank you i wanted to first ask did it come to you or was it a journey
1: um, it was, um, a situation where I, again, I was in that, um, stage of not leaving the house and my friend, Mike, again, I owe a lot to my friend, Mike, um, reached out and he said, Hey, you know, there's a contest, um, in Pittsburgh, which is where I live about, uh, the creative nonfiction, um, is sponsoring a contest, uh, called Pittsburgh neighborhoods. And what they want is for people to submit. Uh, stories about their neighborhoods Um, and I thought maybe you'd be interested in it and I said okay Um, and it was a it was a competition so I thought well nobody's gonna I'm I'm I will try it and nothing's gonna happen Um, and I wrote something about my neighborhood Um, and 79 didn't start off as it as it ended up on the page it started off as just this rant Um, it was a really, you know, it was an, I hate white people, rant, Um, and that's not what I felt. I don't hate white people. I I hate sort of white supremacy and what it does to, you know, people of color. Um, but it was just this rant, you know, and I got a, I got an email back and they were like, Hey, you know, we would be interested in, in sort of pursuing this. You, you win. So, um, there were, um, Uh, I went to like a workshop, Uh, Free Nonfiction had a workshop, um, and where we started to sort of more, you know, uh, um, I realized how angry it sounded, um, and just started to work on it more and more, um, and got it to a place where I was just literally talking about what's going on in my neighborhood, and what was wrong with me, you know, why was I so angry at the people in my neighborhood?
0: Uh, yeah, it's interesting because, like you say, that started as a rant uh, as a rant against uh, white supremacy, and then in the final piece, that whole epiphany, as well as sort of the strongest parts with wrath and with greed, come toward the end. And so it yeah. it definitely seemed that um, that there there was a long journey toward that point.
1: There was, um, you know, it I just in sort of self examination, I realized that i wasn't just angry you know at white supremacy i was angry kind of at the people in my neighborhood for not for sort of flouting um what is considered proper at the same time so i had this kind of weird anti-blackness going with um you know a hatred of white supremacy and i thought well that's that's kind of interesting you know Mm -hmm. because everything i wrote in the in the in the book like i have thought you know i have I have definitely thought mean things about people in my neighborhood who weren't living the way poor people should live. Um, And then I realized, like, these are the same thoughts that your average white racist would have, you know? (laughs) Um, Why, where did I learn that? And that's kind of where the narrator's voice comes from. Um, This guy who is not doing that great himself you know, just out of rehab, standing around judging everybody else and judging them particularly harshly because they're Black people uh, and not uh, being uh, a respectable Black people, you know, this sort of respectability politics of, of you know, being Black, you know. Uh, that's what I was working with. And I it really shook something loose in my head that when I realized that I think like a white racist, you know, and and where did I learn that? Um, And that's where that narrator's voice comes from. I hope I answered your question. I think I just babbled.
0: No, you totally, you totally (laughs) did. And, and all of these thoughts, there's like a double thing happening. You have the bus, which is definitely personified. It's like this whole extra character in the piece and you also have the seven deadly sins. So there's like this, double sense of organization, which I found extremely interesting as well. Um, were those both in your mind at the beginning, or was that also part of um, the revision as well as the workshop?
1: Well, I mean, those were not in my mind at the beginning. Um, so I went and I wrote, um, I, I decided to be honest with myself uh, about my grievances with my neighbors, you know, um, and one of them was like, you know there's so many i live right next door to the projects and i was thinking there's so many you know women over over there with too many kids um and then i would think about my neighbor you know, he's just a drunk right um and then i would think about you know my other neighbor like why is she buying that car when you know and then as i started thinking about them more and more those things just fell in line with like the seven cents lust. Uh, you know uh, uh, pride um, uh, sloth you know and I thought that's that's interesting I bet I could I could pick out every a, a thing that people do in my neighborhood that falls into that category and isn't that re- you know, that religious um, analogy interesting you know yep. um, because you know this is a very religious neighborhood as well um, you know despite all the problems that go um, so I thought I just thought that was interesting that my problems with my neighbors line up with this biblical, mm-hmm. with stuff that I don't actually believe in, um, with this biblical, you know, hit list of how you shouldn't behave.
0: Yeah, I mean, sometimes I would be reading something and say, I like that, but it seems like there was effort to get there. In your piece, I just felt like it totally fell into place, like you didn't have to make up stuff or push too much. I mean, it seemed like the characters and your neighbors totally just fit in with the sins. And then also obviously having the bus too, um, to be able to have a different scene, um, totally worked as well. Well, the bus
1: for me was like a, just symbolic because it just goes around and around, around and around, you know, it's a, it's a circuit bus that doesn't really, doesn't really go anywhere. um, it just gets you out of the neighborhood so that you can go other places. Um, So I thought that was kind of symbolic.
0: Yeah. Um, I want to talk a little bit more about your neighbor first. Um, So I was reading along and there's the first scene where you're on the bus and then the kids try to shake it. And I'm like, okay, I totally know how that feels. Um, (laughs) And then, and then in the second scene, I have to be honest, that hasn't happened to me. And so when your neighbor comes up um, and is not just drunk, but he's just so sorry, like almost two, two or three meanings of the word sorry there, but he's full of contrition. And instead of saying like instead of not even answering and instead of saying, oh, that's all right, you basically just get so angry at him. And there's just like this utter disgust. And that was the yeah. first moment. That was the first moment I was like, oh, this piece is going to be different. Like, I was like, wow, this, this guy has something to say. And I wanted to ask, like, is that just like because that's happened to you? Or what were you trying to get across with that first judgment?
1: Well, I think that I haven't read 79 in a while. But um, I think that at that point, I myself had just gotten out of rehab. Or no, I think I may have still even been drinking. I think I was still drinking at that point. Um, and my neighbor was just me. You know, I, I absolutely hated myself. It was my way, my disgust for him was my way of making myself better than him. Um, he was obviously somebody who was suffering um, with mental health issues. I didn't care about any of that. All I knew was that he was a drunk and that I had a job, and he did right um and that i was managing my consumption and he wasn't and that i you know even with my sinister hangovers um was still managing to you know i was going to get out of here i was going to get out of this neighborhood he wasn't so in my mind at the time you know i was just a better human being all around and he was me you know i'm looking at two versions of myself this this version that I'm behaving like that I want to be and looking at him, which was me, which was the reality of who I was. I was just as drunk as he was, um, every night. I just didn't bang on the walls and, you know, do all the things that he did. Um, and so that's where that disgust comes from. And also, you know, um, you know, I think black people judge other black people har- more harshly than we judge, um, people of other races. Um, and there's a you know, again, I'm in trying to interrogate that anti-blackness um, because he, um, uh, my neighbor was, you know, just everything that, that I was. Um, he also lived up to some sort of stereotype that in my head of, of um, you know, uh, this, is what, this is why white people hate us. This is what white people say about us, you know, that we're drunk and we're lazy. And that's what you are um and that's that was another you know element of anti-blackness there this racism this you know this internal racism that i learned from somewhere
0: yeah and i felt like it just kept on going with the other characters uh, with the other stories i mean yeah you do you do have the black woman who has the car who is filled with pride And Mm -hmm. then you also have the teenage mom on the bus who has children who are swarming all over her. Yes. Um, And, like, these are just such strong, I guess, stereotypes or archetypes or something. Um, And I feel like, but these are real people for you.
1: Yeah, they're definitely real people. I still live in the same neighborhood. Um, And apart from my neighbor who passed away, you know, I still see these people. Um, you know, and it's been a while. So now, you know, the, uh, but I don't look at them the same way. Um, obviously, uh, I like to think that I've done a little bit of work on myself to know where these sort of anti-black ideas come from. Um, and yeah, they're definitely real people. And the same things that went on in my neighborhood when I wrote the piece are still going on now.
0: Yeah. Um, and and throughout the piece, you're going back and forth from judging them and then also saying that you're not going to judge them. And I found <laughs> that, that that was also so interesting because with your neighbor, it's like, no, I'm not him. And then with the woman with the car, you're like, I'm going to see her on the bus when she doesn't have that car. And I'm gotcha. just going to like look at her and. Um, and you also say, but I'm not gonna judge, I'm not gonna judge the teenage right. mom. And right. it's just so interesting, like when I was reading, I was like, can't he sort of understand what he's doing? And I started, yeah. I, I actually started getting a little bit angry and not have contempt, that's too strong, but I right. was actually starting to feel, you know, as a, as a reader and as a, as a white person, I was like, okay, what is he doing here? Right, and, that, um, and that's what, and that's what I wanted to ask. Like, did you want me and your reader to have a reaction toward the narrator?
1: I did. Um, because it's, you know, I wrote, I wrote 79, you know, after I started to sort of like think about these things myself. So what I did was I, you know, everything that's in the, in the piece, like I thought for real, you know, I was unlikable. Um, In that way, because I was trying so desperately to be to be better than everybody around me in this neighborhood, you know. Um, And so when I stopped and I looked at that, I wrote the piece starting off as, you know, the way that I used to think. Uh, And I sort of wrote how, you know, I tried to write how um, the narrator goes through like this sort of evolution of like, okay, why do I think this? You know, where does it come from? um you know, and and how do I start to unthink these things? How do I start to unfeel these things um because there's a reason why you know this neighborhood is the way that it is um and there's a reason why um you know somebody wants to buy a flashy car you know and and, and here's the other thing like you know, it's not like white people don't do these things that I'm talking about in the book um you know there's you know there's white, Drunks uh, who are terrible neighbors. Um, there's white people who buy stuff that they can't afford. Um, you know, there's white women with kids, you know, crawling all over them. And, you know, I mean, but I, I, I was wondering why I was reserving all this judgment for um, the African-Americans around me. Um, and like I say, I do strongly feel that black people judge each other har- more harshly than we do um, other other races of people.
0: And why do you think that is? Is it because of capitalism and greed, uh, you know, basically the the end of your piece? Well,
1: it's, I think it's more complicated than that. You know, I had a talk with a friend the other day who was saying, well, it goes all the way back to slavery. And I was like, well, what are you talking about? And she said, you know, um, slave owners and masters used to pit black people against each other so that there wouldn't be an uprising. Um, and so they made us hate other black people. They, they, you know, um, when you're put in this, you know, this, uh, this sort of, uh, uh, category where you're all of one thing, you know, and, and that thing is hated, then you start, you start, you know, feel crabs in a barrel on that, you know, right. you start climbing over each other, you know, trying to, trying to be the one who makes it. Um, and I definitely, And so it comes from that. It does come from capitalism as well. And it comes from the fact that, you know, the um, white supremacy has dictated a role for black people in America. And that role is to take on um, all the ugliness. Everything that white people are afraid of gets put on black people's shoulders. Uh, Everything white people don't want to be or consider themselves to be gets placed on black people's shoulders. We are more somehow criminal. We are more... Uh, uh, you know, salacious sexually. We are more vulgar. We are more loud. You know, all these things that they don't want, white people don't want, they slough off onto black people. And that is sort of our job, you know, in America, it seems, um, to be um, the ones who take on the worst of human qualities. Um, and that makes white people feel better about themselves.
0: Yeah. Which I think and is that- the bottom line. Yeah. And I'm, I'm just thinking right now, because when you switch in the piece to your realization, your epiphany, it, it's actually with a black woman, an older black woman yeah. uh, who, who you see on the street or on the corner. And I don't know. It's interesting because obviously, like, it seems like this person has wisdom, but also right. maybe has sort of like a historical sense, not just of the neighborhood but perhaps of mm-hmm. uh, perhaps of of race and racial relations as well, and the yeah. racism and the white supremacy. yeah, um, And then she basically says, you know, if white people want the space and they want the spin classes, yeah. um, they're gonna they're coming. Yeah. And, um, uh, and immediately, I feel it something happened um, yeah. in in the, in the narrator. yeah, And I wanted to ask you like, is Is that also sort of what happened for you?
1: Um, it, for me, it was more gradual, obviously within the confines of a of a book, like I couldn't chart like that um, that gradual growth, but that's certainly where it started. you know she said to me, you know they are coming and they are going to do what they want to do, regardless of what we black people think. And I also want to say that neighborhood that I was talking about there has completely changed. It's unrecognizable to me now. Um, there's like fancy stores and shops and um, the complexion of the neighborhood has changed, literally. Um, it used to be, uh, you know, this neighborhood called East Liberty and it was a predominantly black neighborhood. Now you go there and there's like a Bonabos. I don't, know what, I don't even know what that that is. Like, <laughs> you know, um, there's like a, you know, fancy coffee shops and there's, um, I think there's even like a Starbucks. I'm not sure, but, you know, they moved in. They basically did exactly what that woman said. Right. Um, And there are fewer and fewer black faces in that neighborhood. Um, So when she said, you know, they just do what they want to do. And now I have to find someplace else to go. Um, that sort of started the wheels turning in my head, you know, they have taken over this space. And I wonder, you know, if in some way they've taken over the way that I think, um, about myself and my own people. And that's where the work kind of started. Like I started really thinking about, um, you know, why I was so harsh or so, so, so much more judgmental or expected so much more of, of other black people and, um, and also why, um, you know, I didn't like myself that much. Um, you know, if I were to tell you that one of the reasons I didn't have, or one of the reasons I had, a, or I'm sorry to say this, one of the reasons I think I drank so much and used so many drugs is because of my own self-hatred, um, growing up with around, I grew up around a lot of white people, um, you know, in Ohio. And I went to school with predominantly white and, you know, and I think there's something in that process that I learned about, you know, uh, what white and black meant. And so rather late in life, I started interrogating that um, and what the things I had been taught. Um, You know, I wrote the book for maybe other black people who have thought themselves thinking these kinds of, um, things about other Black people. That's who. That's who I wrote it for. Uh, and if white people get it, that's great. But like, um, I, 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 I my, When I was writing it, I was thinking, okay, there's got to be another um, man or woman who maybe grew up around white people and learned these things without their permission. You know, about Black people and how you had to, um, you know, uh, be respectable at all times and how your poverty, you know, I mean, the woman with the car that I wrote about, you know, your poverty is a sentence. You should, you should, you know, you should, uh, play out your sentence, um, you know, and with dignity, be poor, Mm -hmm. um, and just, and like it be poor and like it, you know, um, and, and don't be buying flashy things and be humble, you know, um, you know, all of which is, is bullshit, you know, um, why? Should, you know, we living up here just be satisfied with what we get? I was just hoping to maybe reach, um, you know, some uh, other African-Americans who might be struggling with this very thing, you know, um, internal anti-Blackness. Um, and I'm still, still, I still struggle with it. I catch myself doing it. Um, and I'm trying to work my way out of that.
0: I appreciate that you just talked about how you wrote for yourself, but also for, um, other, um, other African Americans, because I think that as a white person, it's just very common that white people think that pieces are written always for them. And sometimes, sometimes maybe they're not. And, and like, I know of other African American writers who have said, um, like, why does everything have to be for a white reader? And if a white reader is reading something like, maybe it's also up to the white reader to sort of like deal with it as well. Right. And I think that's partly why um, I appreciate your piece so much because, you know, you are talking about how you were interrogating stuff. I felt like I was also interrogated and it's a right. piece. It's a piece that I don't think that I'm going to forget um, for a long time. And it's also a piece, obviously, I wanted to share with a lot of people. And if they have it, especially for white people, if they have not read Your piece, I I basically bring it over to them and say, you got to read this piece. Uh, Please do. Um, I'm going to continue to do that. And I want to thank you so much for your time. Before we go, though, I want to ask you, um, are you working? I mean, obviously, you're working on something right now. But what are you working on right now that you might want to talk about? And also, how can people, um, highlighter readers, follow more of your work?
1: Well, um, I have a website, um, brianbroom.com which has all of my writing on it. Um, I, uh, because of 79, this is very, uh, this is great. Like I, uh, when I got out of rehab, I, I started going, I went to college, I went to community college and then I didn't really know what I was going to do. And, um, and then I went to uh, Chatham University and then I didn't know what I was going to do uh, after I graduated from there. But because of 79, I submitted that as my writing sample um, to the University of Pittsburgh, and I got a full um, fellowship uh, from that. So I'm now um, at the University of Pittsburgh as a uh, uh, an Irvis scholar, um, which is great, because I have more time to write, which gives me time to write a book um, that I'm writing. I have an agent, um, and we're working out a book, and um, I've got a lot of great stories in there. But for right now, I have some things, everything that I publish, I put on my website. Um, uh, brianbroom.com and you can just read to your heart's content on that page and there's also my, um, um, my spoken work on there too I do um, uh, the moth um, and there's a few stories on there from the moth that were recorded um, and you can just follow everything there
0: great thanks so much Brian thank you very much Mark you have a great evening and happy new year you too I want to share my deep thanks to Brian Broom for being on the show. Thank you so much for speaking to us, for being so generous, and for taking the time out to talk to the Highlighter community. I really, really appreciate it. Now before I sign off, I did say that I want to share some ideas that I have about the show in 2019, and hopefully get some of your ideas as well. As you know, the highlighter overall is all about reading. The newsletter comes out every Thursday. There's four articles or more. It's like two or three hours of reading. Obviously, we all totally believe in reading. And for many of us, reading is a private, solitary act, very individual. But for some of us, when we read something that's deep, that that gets us to think a little bit more, that's potentially transformative, we want to talk about it. And we wish that someone else had read it too so that we can talk together about the article. In short, we want to have a conversation. And I was thinking about this and I was like, that is what the podcast should be about. That should be the heart of it. So I'm thinking of two basic formats, both focusing on articles, both focusing on conversation. The first format will be the interview format of an author, very similar to today's show. And the second format, what I want to do is invite highlighter readers onto the show to talk about articles that they deeply care about. And actually to have more than one person on the show, if possible, talking about the same article so that we can get lots and lots of diverse opinions and so that people are really challenged to listen to each other and grow from that experience. And dear listeners, dear readers, this is where you come in. I want to challenge you to be on the show. You can give me a call at 415-886-7475 and leave a message. Or you can go on the website highlighter.cc guest and let me know that you want to be on the show and which article you want to talk about. I can't wait to find out who is willing and eager and excited about being on the Highlighter podcast this year. So don't be afraid. Don't be shy. It's going to be a whole lot of fun. And with that, I want to thank you again for listening to today's episode of the Highlighter podcast. I hope you have a great week of reading. And I hope that you check out this week's edition of the Highlighter newsletter. Have a great week.